0: Hi, I'm Warner Rose. No, I'm Richard Donner, known, better known as Dick Donner. On my right is Mills Goodlow. Mills was uh, one of the producers on the picture. On my left, Jeff Johns, associate producer or associate producer of me. All these guys made these pictures possible, and they talk more than I do, so here they are, and we're talking about the logo. Right? What do you want to talk about, Mills? The logo. Well, what do you want to say about it? Say it. There we go. That little string. John, Jeff, pull the string behind uh, Mills. It's. What's about the logo? Logo was, we wanted what? We
1: wanted a... Uh, you wanted a flame, uh, a big flame to connect. It. Talking to the mic. You wanted to connect it to the first scene with the uh, this flamethrower guy here, and so you wanted the... What flamethrower guy? You're telling the
0: story before it happened. Oh, yeah. There he is now, okay. That flamethrower
1: guy. And uh, you wanted the fire to blow out of the logo to get everybody ready for the... For the, for the blast opening. of the flamethrower, right.
0: Yeah. Right, so that's what we did. We. Uh, Sat down, figured It took us a half a dozen times to get the flame right, uh, which is nothing abnormal since it was done by a title company. Uh, and they get paid by the job. <laughs> and, uh, but they did a hell of a job in no time at all. And uh, here we are. With this, uh, we always open uh, Lethal Weapons with a what I call uh, the last scene of the preceding picture, even though the guys are a little older by five or six years and a little fatter and a little maybe wiser uh but in other words it's a picture it's a scene that has a beginning a middle and end but doesn't tie into the the following story it's just a non-entity and maybe this is what happened at the end of the last film and then we cut to the new film so our life continues it's uh mel and danny again same old thing it's the uh, pickersons uh who have uh inadvertently pulled up to a uh, uh an impossible situation for two police officers with handguns against a um, a guy with a flamethrower, a um, armored suit, and an automatic weapon. And uh, here they are. And um, As they try and save each other and dedicate their lives to each other, they find that, as you know in the picture, or you're finding out in the picture, that they both are hiding something from each other, um, which will be uh, the continuing saga of the film. What they're hiding is Danny's going to be a grandfather. His daughter's not married. On top of that, Mel is going to be a father, and he's not married. And uh, it, it's a good twist. It uh, keeps him on the edge. It gives them now a sense of responsibility that they care about their own lives, which Mel never did in Lethal One. He was a guy who had no respect for life, much less his own. And now uh, now he wants to live. He's going to have a kid. He's going to be a father. But is he going to get married?
1: You'll see at the end of the movie. Okay. could well, we talk about the... Uh the uh, yeah. car. We had to keep resetting.
0: Explosion. Okay. Oh yeah. Uh, the, the hits on the car are something interesting because um, it's it's almost impossible. We would have had to have about 20 cars there and match each hit for each line of dialogue. So what we did was this is the first time I've done it. We use CGI for the bullet hits. We actually blew a few out on location. And then our CGI expert, what's his name? Michael Fink. Mike Fink, was a genius. Mike figured out what to do and what to, how to bring it in so that on each cut we would have these matched hits. Um, we also, uh, this, this, is a, this is a very dangerous sequence. I mean, you you, you you wanna be prepared 100%, you wanna be safe with special effects. Nobody should ever get hurt with special effects. And uh, we're illusionists and you we know, lenses and and a great team of technicians we should never jeopardize anybody but but you're on the edge and this was shooting night and this was the scene that we wanted to get out and edit it as fast as we could so we could have a teaser out on the market so the audiences would know there was a lethal weapon for coming we thought this was a great scene to do with. the uh, we had Matt Sweeney our special effects man has been on all our pictures and he, uh, he did an amazing job with this, but it was always on the edge. As a matter of fact, this car they're leaning against eventually is going to blow up. Uh, maybe I've given away the story. I'm kidding. But no, it's eventually going to blow up, and uh, it was loaded with armament. And um, uh, impossible for it to blow up on its own, but for some reason that we still haven't figured out yet, when the effects guys were just turning their back on it and maybe walking five feet from it, the car blew up on its own, which makes you, gives you a pause to think that it could have been the actors, could have been you, could have been a special effects man right there, and then, so you, you, you get a little more cautious and a little more, uh, concerned with everybody, and I'm, um, a lot of the special effects guys don't like me because of that, and stunt guys, is, as I said, you can do it all with illusion. Okay, so, uh, we hit our guy, he slides down the tr- street, rocket man, It's the old, uh, Seventy-six, which they were in quite a, incredibly cooperative with. Uh, they, uh, this gas station was sitting there, and people were driving in and out of it right up to the last minute. No, okay. know, we built it with their cooperation. Matt Sweeney said, "When that that gas trailer uh, tanker gets ignited, it's going to go sixty feet in the air, and it's going to land right here. And I'll be damned if it didn't go sixty feet in the air and land right there. It was extraordinary. Uh, it was a real tanker. Then, uh, then we strung it up on a cable." Reignited it and dropped it on the car. And, uh, and there's Danny in his underwear, which brought down the house, set up the whole story of what you can expect in lethal for. The crazy guys are back. They love each other. Uh, but they live on the edge. And they have a great sense of humor. And thanks a million and good night. Okay. Okay, so now we're into... Uh, Come on, guys, talk.
2: That was also the very first thing we shot of the movie.
0: That's what I said. Starting in January
2: of 1998. 1998. And that was
0: the reason we did it, was to get it out in time to get a trailer. Right. Right. You said that. Right. I said that. Yeah. Okay. All right. There's many and Mo here. (laughs) Then we go nine months later, and of course, nine months later in his gestation period. We say almost nine months later. The studio had a fit when we said nine months later. They they didn't argue about anything in the movie except you can't say nine months later because everybody knows when you find out you're pregnant, you're already, what, four or five weeks pregnant. It can't be nine months later. So I said, we didn't, we didn't say anything. We just put almost nine months later. They wanted to put seven months later. Yeah, yeah. one would understand that. Nobody would understand that.
2: This is also shot in Long Beach, which was the same place we shot the opening sequence. This is much later in the movie. This is Joe Pesci's first uh, day of the movie.
0: What is well, don't play it at the screen. What are you seeing? Uh, the boat, the boat scene where the boat sinks, blows up, where the guys are on it and where they have their little purge of each other and kind of Danny hits Mel with the fact that, uh, why aren't you married? You're going to be a father. And it's a good moment. This is these are the kind of moments I personally like best in making these movies. Uh, I like their humor. I like their relationship uh, effects and action scenes are relatively easy, quite honestly. I mean, you surround yourself with geniuses that are special effects people, as I said, stunt people. And everything is done with the magic of cuts and and nowadays with computer graphics. We couldn't do computer graphics on this picture with a slight exception of a few little ones because we had no time. But to me, this is picture making. This is working with a couple of wonderful actors who were, you know, getting you, the audience, involved emotionally in the motion picture. And that's the reason I truly believe Lethal Weapon has she's been dead, successful is that you care about the people. I'm a cop. Uh, uh, probably a I, lot more I, I so than you care the about the action. And um, once you're hooked down, on the people, well, still then, still then the there. action really pays off because you care if somebody gets hurt or somebody doesn't get hurt or how what the conclusions are. So these, yeah, these scenes know, are really priceless price to that. me. Yeah. Like and the relationship Mel Gibson and Danny Glover have developed between each other is extraordinary also. They talk in shorthand. And then, of course, there's Jose, good old Joe okay. Fesci. He's this, this wonderful Aft. little wind-up toy we found. And, uh, it's he Ever-Ready Batteries. He just, he never stops. He's wonderful. He's nutty. He's hysterical. And uh, he's part of the gang. We have no prima donnas on this picture. So, Joey keeps you laughing. And...
1: Joey pays it off at the very end, he gives you a tear, and uh, he's the block And this whole, this whole scene was shot on the water in Long Beach, even though, I remember you mentioned after we shot it that, well, we could have shot this in this, you know, on the stage. On the tank? Yeah.
0: But we didn't have time to get to the tank, we didn't have time to do any of that, so we ended up with a boat in Long Beach at night with fog machines going behind it, and proper lighting, and, uh, proper, lighting and uh, proper lighting, that's something you've in this picture because Andre Barkovia well, who I had never worked with, who has done some wonderful, wonderful pictures, just did an extraordinary job on this picture. And every time I turned around, you would have another camera hidden. Sometimes I thought we'd have two cameras, we'd have, I'd, I'd, I'd look and I'd see six operators, and what the hell's going on here? He, but it was wonderful. Even if you got a foot and a half cut out of one of the cameras, it was worth the price of them. And especially doing a picture like this at this speed. We, uh, we started this picture one January. January,
2: 1998.
0: Yeah, what? Do you remember the day? January 16th. Was it a Monday or a Wednesday? It's actually a Friday. A Friday, January 16th. And we did. We finished it. Uh, uh mid May. Mid May, and we were in the theaters. Uh, July 10th. July 10th. We had 37 days of post production. Uh, this. So, what would they do? They had miniatures made for scenes like this with a tanker, and uh, we had no time. We found a tanker, had no engine in it. We had a very fast, powerful tug tied to the outside of it. Uh, and stupidly, we ran it by their, their boat and actually rammed it once. The shaking of that boat is actually when it was hit by this tanker, which is many, many tons. This little boat is a tiny little thing, and it, it uh, again, we, we pushed the limit. We pushed the envelope. It was uh, somewhat of a stupid thing to do because that tanker was coming down. This little boat was moored off, and uh, and the, the captain of the, the tug that was pulling it was, was totally blindsided because he was on the other side. And he was, a, he was wonderful at what he did, but at one point he came so close, he actually hit that boat. Anyway, this is the real thing. We're out on the water in Long Beach and uh, um, we have no effects here that are not physical effects. It's it's, it's the real thing. That tank, When the tanker explodes and starts to burn, it's tankers exploding sorry, and starting to burn. When when the barrels fly into the air, they are catapulted in the air, right there on the beach and uh, where they land, nobody knows, except Matt Sweeney. He can tell you exactly where they land, and they did.
1: What else, guys? We could talk about the uh, just uh, how how I many we shot this for how many days it was a week I don't know at night on a, we were on a pier. Part of a pier, part out on the water. Yeah, part on the yeah. water. It was—I free- mean—you spent hours on the water, freezing cold. Yeah, but they never get colder, actors, because they're do- so dedicated to their
0: job. Never heard them complain once, did you? No, never. Yeah, Great. you weren't around them then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is uh This is out on the water. This is—you're uh, right. It, sometimes we shot the tanker was tied to a pier, so the offside we never showed, and uh, but that's the tanker burning. It's being pushed by that thing, that's a beach in front of it.
1: This is a pretty amazing uh, stunt here. These two guys, actually, this isn't in a tank or anything. It's actually on the water, moving, they jump right in that freezing water.
0: And there goes Mel, and that's Mel, and that is that, and that's Mel, and that's, Mel, and that's no double. And, pretty exciting stuff. Pretty exciting and pretty funny.
2: And this was all improvised. The, the, the interaction here with the, yeah. with the gun in his mouth and all of this happened tonight that we were shooting.
0: Improvisation is one thing that's just wonderful. The relationship with these actors—they're all, they're all great at it. If one of them finds something and runs with it, the other two are right on top of it and pick it up and go. And they always know. That's tanker being run up on a beach in Long Beach. I thought we were going to split the hull in half, but it didn't.
2: And interestingly enough, when that tanker was uh, done, we were done shooting that tanker. They were going to refurbish it and tow it down to uh, Central America to be used as an orphanage.
0: Pretty filthy orphanage, but I guess it's better than what they got. Wow, look at that. that was <laughs> the real thing. Of course, this is at this point, it's on a cable coming straight down. The boat is on cables. It's the hull has been taken out of that boat. This is a. A duplicate so we could bring it up, bring it down, bring it up, bring it down for as many takes as we had to. Here, of course, you realize the laser is laying in it later.
1: More oh, guys jumping in, in that freezing cold water.
2: Hey, they got paid. This they is all been. on the stage at Warner Brothers.
0: Joey was afraid of the water. Joey was afraid of the depth of the water and that he couldn't swim, so we built a Tank that was four and a half feet deep on the stage, and had uh, uh, the side of the, the tanker there. It was just a painted with flats. Shark was real. Was, this was terrible that we happened to, that shark happened to come upon the scene when we were in the water, and, but nobody was hurt. Shark, we convinced he should leave us alone, he left. He ate the producer. Actually, we fed him, the producer. (laughs) It's now a very overweight shark. It was freezing. It was was cold. It was night. We'd go from sundown to sunup. We lived in Long Beach. Even though it was only 45 minutes from home, that 45 minutes was an hour and a half or two of travel and you'd rather be in a hotel right there. And the guys, the actors were great. I mean, it was cold and it was miserable, and but they uh, stuck with it. We tried to develop the screenplay for a long time and uh, Mel Gibson said, uh, you know, when you get a good screenplay, I'll talk to you about it. And Then one day he said, you have a good screenplay because I think maybe I'm ready to make the movie. And It was kick, bollock, and scramble, and uh, I had read a uh, frightening story about the uh, smuggling of Chinese immigrants, where a uh, ship had run aground in Long Island, and uh, these poor people uh, had paid like $35,000 to get there. They'd been on it for months, one toilet, no food. And uh, when uh, it ran aground, the INS and the customs and the police and everybody, Panicked these poor people, and a lot of them jumped over the side trying to get to the beach, and were drowned. Front page of the New York Times and every major newspaper, and all of a sudden, I felt we had a good story. We always yeah. look for a story that has some sense of uh, of honesty and, um, and and a good meaning, and this was it. And so uh, there we go. We had a good story. We 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 had a few writers working on it. We kind of gave them the, the the rough premise and. Uh, um, uh, of all of them, Channing Gibson, who ended up writing the screenplay, came up with a really good, solid story, and um, and it was that. And then, of course, we needed a um, an Asian heavy, and Jet Li, who had done 20 some 27 films at Hong Kong, had uh, from the time he was five until he was 18 been world champion uh, uh, martial artist. Uh, but he had never played a heavy. So we approached him and his agents, and he came over and with some trepidation because he, his image in Hong Kong is always of the hero. He agreed to play the heavy, and what a heavy he turned out to be. He's just, and what a sweet, terrific guy. Here we, then we have the train wrecks, where the, the, the tra- car wrecks, where the car is hit by the train. This is something. Uh, it was an idea that I had a long time ago. It, it's kind of frightening when you stop at a red light at a, on a freeway at a uh, main intersection. These big trucks are whipping by, and I always thought, oh "My God, if somebody just pulled up behind you and hit you from behind as a truck is coming through, you're dead. Nobody would even know about it."
2: it as the trains coming through.
0: No, it was a truck. I mean, it was originally it was, a, it was a, a truck, and then and then we got the idea that hey, well, let's try and do this for a film and do a train and and uh, and so. I hope nobody uses this in real life, but when you think about it, it's what an easy way to kill somebody, what a terrible way to kill somebody. Anyway, so it became uh, uh, a great piece in the picture, very frightening, and it set up what eventually was gonna happen. It's always nice what I call it to show the banana, show the banana, show the banana, slip on it. And so we only show it twice here, and slip on it on the second time, but it really sets the audience up. Here we have um, an INS Heavy. Um, you know, I guess there's good and bad and everything, but, uh, you read more about the bad, uh, with the INS and what's being covered, and, uh, um, we have a uh, drug czar who is, who is now threatening to put czars at every border station, and with the INS and with Customs, and, uh, so I thought this is something important to put in the picture, and, uh, as i do i like to get messages in the film i believe that under the guise of entertainment you can give a message but you sure can't give uh entertainment under the guise of a message so we do it in reverse and then into our lives came who but chris rock who's going to be the father of danny's daughter's baby and danny doesn't know it what a great setup this is danny doesn't know it. This is his son-in-law, who is a pain in the ass. He's always on his case every second. Uh, Danny doesn't understand why. Uh, and because Danny's daughter can't tell Danny that she's married to a cop because Danny would never let her do it. He'd be very upset. So we've got a great inner peace going constantly in the film, this um, relationship of Danny and Chris Rock, and Mel knows what's going on and does the most terrible things to his partner, which... I love them for. It. Anyway, I was talking about the messages. So we, we, later on in the film, you'll see. Uh, well, I think we have uh, fur is dead and things like that. Because I'm a firm believer that that uh, animals shouldn't be slaughtered for their fur, and that's why we boycott all the major department stores that sell fur, uh, especially wild trap fur. And we part of our messages is also. Uh, when I was a kid, I was a member of the NRA, but the NRA was. Uh, taught you how to fire a shotgun and be safe with a gun and nothing else. It didn't become a, a right-wing uh, a movement to uh, sell uh, armor-piercing bullets um, that the police are, I mean, it made the police totally vulnerable to um, the weaponry that's out there today and the NRA is backing it politically. And I dropped out of the NRA when they became a political right-wing arm.
1: That, that was something you touched in lethal three too, the armor-piercing bullets was a big, uh, yeah.
0: Well, that's why major, all major police departments and, and officers are against the NRA for this because of the armor piercing bullets and the, uh, semi, and the uh, semi-automatic weapons that are, automatic, that are easily made automatic. And, uh, yeah, they shouldn't be out there. And uh, if you're going to use a hunting rifle, fine. But uh, anyway, uh, let's, let's not get into the political issues. Or we could be here for hours. Let's talk about this wonderful movie, which I loved. I really did. I'm not kidding you. It was a fun movie to make. It was a... Uh, um, uh, an impossible deed to get it done and to write it and shoot it and edit it and everything, and it just for me turned out to be one of the one of the best. I think number one is my favorite, obviously. But uh, it, it uh, for us to continue on a basis of these films and make the fourth and have it do as well as it did. When I say do as well as it does, it means it means that audiences went to see it, and that to me. Uh, where this, to a lot of people, it's the almighty buck they paid. I just love the fact that people are going to see it. This is the start of the relationship again, introducing Renee Russo, who we love desperately now, and uh, one of the funniest, delightful ladies here ever going to meet.
1: You can, see, you can see the changes, too, that Mel's gone through by his house. Yeah, you know, like yeah. Michael Reva did.
0: Great production design on Michael Reva. And uh, oh, I'm sorry, honey. I'm you can see how the house is starting to expand and grow. There's going to be a nursery on one side. But it's still the old trailer. You can see the trailer inside of it. and uh,
2: We actually had Mel going in his trailer in Lethal Weapon 3, and we cut that scene out. So we really haven't seen his trailer since uh, Lethal Weapon 2. Wow.
0: Yeah. When they shot that up. When they shot it up. up. Yeah, so this, this is a new trailer, really. We had it, as Mills is right, we had it in three, a scene uh, that we cut out of the picture for no other reason except of length. What happened? And sometimes you cut scenes out of a movie that breaks your heart because you put a lot of love and effort into it, and the actors were great. And and you just look and you say, you're right, it should come out. It doesn't. Uh, you'll never miss it, and it doesn't progress the film. And it's a
1: scene you actually put back in in your director's cut.
0: Yeah, that's right, those directors cuts that went out with that package of three um, has those, that scene in it. It's uh, Danny's daughter. Uh, Brienne, What's her name? Tracy Wolf. Tracy Wolf. Well, it's a moment actually kisses Mel Gibson. So now, so a
2: lot of this scene right here was written, and Shannon Gibson, the writer's wife, had uh, would been pregnant. And they just had a baby, and, and he had kind of pulled up a lot of these scenes. What he was just talked about the dogs from his wife's pregnancy because his wife had a thing about dogs, and she made it to the room at his house dogs. So he kind of transferred that and wrote it into the scene here. And, so, also, and also, here's when you, the first time we hear a really great Michael Kamen piece.
0: Yes. Michael Kamen. How can we not talk about Michael well, Kamen? No, I, no. Composer on one. Me
3: neither.
0: Pulled something out of the air on one. Found a, a theme for Lethal Weapon that's traditionally just carried on, one, two, three, and four. he's phenomenal. We have a library of like Michael Kamen's music, which we temp our, temp means when you cut a film and you're looking at it the first time, you, you put music to it. Well, obviously you can't have the composer do it because he's not ready yet, so you, you temp it with other music. In our particular case, we temp it with his music instead of some other composer's music or stock music of other sorts so that we know that the feeling of the film is going to be the feeling of what we're getting. And uh, in this particular case, since we had such a rush, we even used some of our temp. Uh, Michael we scored it, but we used it in the motion picture. And using, of course, Eric Clapton's guitar. And? And,
2: and David Sanborn. And David
0: Sanborn. Uh, Licorice. He's, they're great. They're all great. They're all, they always feel the film. and The music has been phenomenal, and Michael Kamen is classicist. Uh, I mean, he's a great, great, great composer, does some great I music, know, and kidding. on top of it, we were fortunate enough to get him on no, one, and no, no. we've had him on four, no, no, no.
3: You know and a I'm good fine. guy. I've been to of Everybody
0: and worked people. under the most trying conditions crazy. on this. Remember, when you right. finish a picture, picture, you screen it, you look at it, you <laughs> recut <laughs> it, you change it. It takes months and months <laughs> and months. A donut, mm-hmm. uh, How did you know, an average film is 12, 14 weeks of post production. We did it in... 30 yes, were 37 days. I something up. Good one. Will What's I ever do it again? No. Oh, yeah. It was insane. Got the if you look in the background there
2: on the left, they had uh, some carpenters pulling up, which we had a little scene there which we ended up cutting out
1: for oh, time purposes. Not. Right. Some jerky also, in the background, if you look closely uh, a little bit ago, you can see the trailers of uh, because, yeah, the Yeah,
0: the whole crew. We didn't have time to move them. Oh, They're back there. It looks like right, people I who lived on that. the beach. Little, 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 Nobody's I'm caught it. You had to tell him, huh? Nice I had going. To tell him. Yeah. I'm an honest don't man. He'll be I out of this industry fire. fast. <laughs> <laughs> what do
3: you
1: mean? This is a great scene where uh Mel discovers like what? that I, I, you know, Lee Butters, Chris Rock's character, is the father of Danny's daughter's specific. baby. And Mel's gonna have a lot of fun know, with you know, it. He swears know, to her he'll never say anything.
3: <laughs> really don't yeah, want no, you to the go there. To me, oh, Rex, you oh, know what? I you not to The
0: reason we discussed enough. earlier the uh, 37 days do, of the 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 premise post-production, premise the insanity was that the studio... What? Well, nowadays we you do pictures when actors are available to do the project. And you release it when the studio thinks that's a good release date. I swear. And in this particular case, we took on the project when Mel said, I'm available. Okay, January know, through July, John, or, John, or John. January through June, or something like that. Yeah, well, January, February, March, March, April, May, baby, and uh, or April. Her. And he said that, that, that was his availability. Love, well, wow, we got, got to make the back picture then. Um, it, it put us in a position where we had a script that yeah, Mel accepted. Of I wasn't that happy with it. Joel Silver, uh, my co-producer, wasn't that happy with it. I'll talk about Joel in a minute. And but we had a start, and so we started. And every Sunday, we would meet at my house. Oh, uh,
3: this just uh,
2: gets
0: better and better. Biscuits? I mean, Fattening food, sit around a big table. Um, myself, Mills, Jeff, Joel, the writer. I'm not going to tell him It's usually somebody from the studio. And, uh, and we'd kind of write Monday's work. Uh, it was an extraordinary way of doing things. Actually, we had done it like that on two, two or three, the same thing. But this was really down to the wire. And then on top of it, the studio gave us a, a date yeah, that they wanted the picture. That's they were going to declare either July 4th or July 10th weekend, oh, the, like the weekend uh, of release of Lethal Weapon. The studios do that early to let other studios know this is the date they're going to open. They want that weekend. And if you have a good picture, hopefully, like Lethal Weapon, most people back off that weekend. And uh, so they declared that date, and we like Mel gave us his date. All of a sudden, we were shooting, and he sat down, and he had, you, you you subtracted the shooting time from the post time. You said, "Oh my God, we're going to finish on such and such a date, and we got to be in the theaters on such a." We 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 found out we had thirty six days. Or originally it was going to be thirty five. We we extended it to thirty seven, and uh, and it became just this impossible deed. But uh, Frank Curiosity, one of the great film editors of all time, and. Um, certainly this is for me, I mean Stuart Baird was a great editor and he is a great editor and he's a great director now but Frank did wonders on his job. He just did extraordinary things. He used a um, not a light works. The Avid. He used the Avid for a 100 percent first full-time and he fell in love with it because usually it's hand-on film, you got film in your hand, you're working on a moviola or a steenbeck, a flatbed and you're, you got the film right there. This was all computed and None of us were really 100% up to it, except Jeff Johns, who's a computer freak. And um, and we all learned, and uh, Frank did an amazing job. It's the only way you could have delivered something like this on time. And uh, On this kind of time, anyway. And then,
1: what? Uh, it was really fascinating when we'd shoot on the stage, and afterward, between during lunch, and after we rap, you'd come and sit in that room and watch the scenes. Cut we shot a week earlier.
0: Yeah, or shot a couple of days earlier, actually. Yeah, we,
2: and we actually screened about an hour and ten minutes of the movie on day fifty, of uh, day fifty of shooting. you right. On on a Sunday at your house.
0: Yep, just to see how it was,
2: and which which has never been done before. of any
0: pictures that you've done? Well, so let's put it that way, then We've done, yeah. I mean, it was. I don't. I think a lot of the stuff was probably never done time-wise. No. Anyway, and anyway, Joel. I talked about Joel Silver. I touched on him a minute ago. Joel. Why uh, didn't you? and I go back to Lethal One. Actually, that's how we met. Uh, Warner Brothers offered me this film, and uh, hey, yeah, Joel and I were gonna produce it, and I was directing it, and uh, it started a relationship. Uh, we worked very well together in action films, and uh, started a good relationship so well that we then created the uh, Tales from the Crypt series. We have over a hundred of those. We've done uh, two or three independent films together. We're now embarking on Decade Films, which is the 10 years we're together. And uh, we'll be doing films for that. Mills is going to be producing some of those. Jeff will be working on them. And uh, so Joel and I have a good, solid relationship with producer, producer, director, director. No, no, it's wrong. It's producer, director, and producer uh, over all these 10, 11, 12 years. And uh, hopefully, it'll continue. He's a good guy. He's a good, he's a good contributor. He has a good way of standing the studio off, so he acts as a good producer to protect you, that all you have to worry about is making the film. And um, hey guys. Um, uh, these relationships should be like this very Very few producer directors have been together for 10 years in this business and still talk to each other. I'm not sure whether I talk to them. Yes, I do.
3: Oh my oh, oh, no, hey. God! Sorry. No, no. Well, you know I love it
1: when you do that. <laughs> you look terrific.
3: Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Wait till she start trying to raise that baby by herself? Daddy, I'll be fine. This is a scene where we're just introducing all the kids again. With uh, Tracy wolf
2: and and uh, Ebony, Ebony Smith, Smith,
1: and Damon. Hines. yeah, Damon, Hines. Yeah, Damon Hines. Boy, is a definite group of strong people making some
0: decisions here. <laughs>
1: I think it's really fascinating and, and really cool that all these actors who played all these parts in every movie really wanted to come back and work with Dick again. Well they asked for a lot of money.
0: <laughs> they did. These gags, things like this. This we just improvised on the set, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. The gags where Danny sees the, the the picture out of the newspaper that somebody's photocopied and Set it up, and so this, this incident right, happened yeah. obviously nine months ago. They're still long doing long it to him. Okay. This is the kind of stuff that you improvise, it works great, uh, and they're great at it. Uh, Mel loves this stuff, he always makes it a little better than you could ever even think about. It. And then we come into the captain, he's been with us now for all four pictures. Steve Kane, terrific actor, one of the best actors I've ever. It's possibly I like him a lot because he's my cousin. Steve and I go back to. um, uh, He was uh, uh, studying acting in New York when I was doing Superman, and he was a uh, a detective in Superman where he finds the body of uh, one of the cops having been killed by Lex Luthor. Who Harry Harry. says, "Hey, ah, Harry." He picks up the hat. Yeah, (laughs) great scene. And Steve is uh, identifiable with our cast. Um, Good actor, gives you a good laugh. Uh, And uh, this is the scene where they become captains out of sheer desperation on the part of the department to keep them off the streets. And uh, of course, that gives us another thing to run with in the picture. The picture was really well blocked and planned by Channing. He did a a sensational job because he would set these little things up and and then have an incredible payoff for them. And um, it's rare. He's... um, we were very, very fortunate <laughs> to find him. I think Mills actually found him, uh, or suggested him, mm-hmm. brought it to our Any attention, in, uh, and um, it's a rarity. Captain. No. Well, also,
2: a little reference here: the no smoking thing on still on his desk from *Lethal Weapon* two. He had a whole gag with the no smoking, he still has the no smoking plaque on his desk.
0: Yeah, Do you remember that? Yeah, but, I'll be quiet. She's shitting bricks, man. Yeah, that that relays back to, what was it, two or three? Two. A lot of trouble,
1: something simple. Uh, Absolutely. Great. Uh, Great. Captain Riggs. (laughs) Captain Marshall.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When you go against a schedule like this and you have a a film to make in no time at all and you're improvising it and you're writing it on Mondays and you're shooting, I mean on Sundays and you're shooting it on Monday, you really have to have a strong, incredible department backing you in every way, sense, shape and form. I talked about Mike Riva, who was a production designer. Who sometimes, there's a set in the end of the movie that takes place, uh, it's supposed to be a, a pier at night in a, in the rain. Uh, Mike Riva was told about that Monday. As a matter of fact, we called him Sunday Night at home after we came up with this idea. And six days later? Six days later, we were shooting on that. Incredible set, which you will see at the end of the movie. That's was, phenomenal. So It was
2: crews working literally 24 hours a day, three eight hours, three yes. eight hour
0: shifts. To finish it. And uh, but to put this all together, you gotta have somebody behind you. Well, I got Joel as a producer, but
3: off,
0: you know, you really need somebody who's on the floor with you every second and knows the picture. And that's there's one genius in this industry, mm-hmm. who I can't make a movie without, and I dread the fact that I may have to someday. And that's Jimmy Van Wyck. Oh, here's my plug against the NRA, and it's true. If you look at it, a child is killed uh, by a handgun every... And they're they're called, they're not called um, uh, assault weapons. They're called civilian assault weapons by the police departments. So they're not military weapons anymore. They are, they're not out there to kill military. They're out there to kill civilians, and the NRA hates that reference um, that they are called civilian assault weapons. So we got that in, and if you notice, we got it in close behind Mel in a close-up, and close behind um, Chris Rock in a close-up. So it's impossible to cut those things out, which I love. And, um, and we, we have gotten a lot of flack back. Uh, I've gotten letters um, somewhat threatening from police officers, and uh, who were the rogue cops who love the NRA. I don't know why. Hopefully, it's just a uh, mindless uh, uh, threats from people yes. who can't do anything about it.
3: Oh, oh.
2: Uh, Captain Riggs. No, don't run up. I, I, you know, I I'm, I'm, I'm in a I, rush. Yeah, I, I need
3: to talk to you about Do it. you? Uh oh, wait, wait. What is it this time? Uh, reoccurring dreams about...
0: There's Mary Ellen Ross? Traynor. Dear Mary Ellen Traynor. She's been in all the pictures. Our psychiatrist. Lover. She's great. A good laugh. A wonderful actress. She really handled it. Tackled this scene brilliantly. Anyway, I was talking about Jimmy Van White. Jimmy, um, I first met, he was a trainee on a wonderful picture I did called Inside Moves. I think it's one of my favorite pictures. And Jim uh, had been a professional baseball player. And uh, things weren't going well. Uh, Kurt Russell was a ball player with him. They were best friends. And Kurt, when Jim decided he wasn't going to stay in the leagues, uh, Kurt helped him get into the training program at the Directors Guild and his first picture he did was inside moves and I I just fell in love with him. He's just one of the brightest, problems. wittiest, Are most sensational you? guys I'd ever met and I Help I knew there'd be a bright future with him. The future turned out to be that uh, my wife did a picture with him called Three Fugitives and uh, he had become a first assistant director in a very short period of time and she kept talking and I said, very I know happy. this guy, he's in any event, um, uh, I try to keep Jimmy with me every chance I get. He is an active producer in the picture um, and really does a phenomenal job as that. But the most important is he's on the floor with me and he he's just extraordinary. He doesn't let you forget a thing. He's got a wonderfully creative mind. He's always suggesting and if you, if you say no, he's like a terrier. He perseveres to the degree you want to kill him. You just want to say no, no, no. no, no. But then yeah. you finally say, OK, Jimmy, I'll try it, and, and I'll be damned if you don't use it in the film. And, uh, he keeps this picture together. He keeps all these actors. And you know, the actors, these, these guys don't have a lot of temperament, but there are moments everybody loses it. You're together a long time, and you need somebody who's running the floor, and running the cast, and running the crew, and running the picture. And uh, it's only one Jimmy Van Wick. He is about to go into a new movie with my wife
3: now, uh, with Francis Faber.
0: Uh, directing, and um, uh, Jimmy and, and my wife Lauren Shula are the great producer. You know Lauren, Lauren did the Inside Move, no, forget it, what'd she do? Free Willie. She did, uh, Lauren did all the Free Willy, she did Dave, she did Pretty in Pink, she did Mr. Mom, St. Elmo's Fire. She's done a lot of great movies, she's a sensational producer. And she did Radio Flyer. And Lady And Lady Hawk, which we met on. She hired me and I married my producer. Uh, Anyway, Jimmy's that great, but I wouldn't marry him. And uh, and and uh, so that's how uh, you keep a picture together. You have people like that. They keep you honest. What do you got, Mills?
2: Chinese, Just let me get my jacket.
0: This was shot still the original. Uh, what was shot? The
2: uh, scene. Take this. Was- oh, OK, OK. <laughs> This was this was still the original police station used in all the films, which is now... We had just beaten it because of about two months after we shot this, or a couple of weeks after we shot this, they were going to uh, demolish it and build a new station, so...
0: No, build another, a, uh, a um, no station so in the honor, studio. Oh, yeah, they're yeah. doing some sound stages, so this is the last... Yeah, the end of the the era for that, except that was, that was only in... Um, Three and four, or two, three, and four? Two, three, and four. Yeah, one was a police station out in Montana that? or someplace. I
1: was just last night. I noticed you were, well, let's say more than slightly miffed, huh? Didn't you, Roger? Yeah, yeah. Any
2: particular reason? About 150,000 of them. I mean, that's how many bullets were zinging around my neighborhood growing up. Couldn't go outside. Couldn't go near a window lived on the floor, ate on the floor, slept on the floor, watched TV on the floor. See, I didn't
0: learn how to walk till I was 10 years old. Storyboards. When you come into action sequences. Knows knows with the and nowadays with you know, the computer sequences, the you have to storyboard things. About the um, I'm just thinking about that. You, I don't find you you storyboard anything that that that's that's acting or that's that doesn't demand a special effects or uh, or um, computer effects backgrounds or something, but I mean Storyboards are very interesting. And the first time I ever storyboarded anything was on, on The Omen, and uh, I had this incredible scene where uh, these baboons in a in a in a animal park attack a car that Lee Remick and her child are Actually, the son of and um, I, I I was very involved, and I said, "Oh wow!" So I sat down and I storyboarded this thing for weeks on end with storyboard artists, cameramen, and. Cameraman and We finally had it all right, and uh, we started to shoot it. We all knew what we were doing, but when I showed the storyboards to the baboons, they looked at me and laughed. And I realized, hey, man, I gotta get back to being a director. And the storyboards went up in the air, and I improvised and and, and, uh, shot what we could. So storyboards are good when you have a lot of people that have to have reference to what you're about to do. we storyboard our action sequences so that the effects people know what to do and and everybody else uh, involved uh, props and and, transportation transportation and 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 the uh, optical effects people but um, that's about it and even then when you have those you're anything but married to them because when you get on a set and you look through that camera or you see actors move or something it all comes to life in a different way Um, I, I even I think it's it's a it's a bad crutch for young directors to get into is using storyboards because all of a sudden their their all their inspiration goes out the window and they're nailed into something and it becomes sort of instinctive kind of intellectual. And uh, yeah, but as I say, it's when you you're doing big effects and everybody has to know about it uh, and where they're going to be and what's going to happen, you uh, you do it. It's like when you do a stunt that's dangerous. Um, We've had some incidents in the industry where we've actually had people killed, should never happen. And, uh, you, you plan these things out so carefully. And when you do, in my case it's Jimmy van Wyck. when we're ready to do a, a, a stunt that involves anything that's dangerous, uh, or an effect shot, I always, I turn it over to Jimmy, who then turns it over. Having discussed it like a, a war room with the effects people and the stunt people, and nobody nobody yes, changes it from the moment it goes to them. If anybody has a change, they come to me i 'll make that final decision i 'll go to the stunt people, and if they feel it's safe we'll do it but we 've had you know some terrible instances where people over command overrode the command of the first assistant director and the stunt coordinators and no, tragic be results. Hey, been, uh, I
1: you, I you, I so I don't know how I got into that, but I'm out of it. This get is built on buy buy the Warner Brothers' uh, stages. Yeah. Hey, yep. Because, we, we, about because about we had, uh, because we wanted to do the gag at the end. Right.
0: Right. This is a set. And it's also a set we wanted to control with light with those mirrors. It's a totally four way mirrored set. Police. Oh, it's all four walls, as fly, you can see, and the, we're shooting through mirror here. <laughs> we're in most of the cases we're behind the one-way glass, so you can't see the cameras. It's like we, I, when I was a kid, and I get first started in the business. I did candid camera, and uh, uh, we used to shoot through this front silvered glass. So we decided we would do the same thing here, and it worked. At times it worked. Sometimes we would just hide the cameras and get away with it. Cups. Other times, uh, if Smok you saw your reflection, you had to get behind a piece of mirror. It's a wonderful actor, this actor. He's 87? Yeah. 87, 87 years old. Kim That's Chan. A, Kim Chan. They, they wonderful out. actor. Great sense of humor. Very well, witty. The, 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 the film, there was danger in this film that we would still, I don't um, about it. Uh, be accused of... Uh, hey racist yeah. remarks and uh, and I was very yeah. nervous about it and well, there's a, a gag in here where Kim says uh, Who's this guy? Is he just a where Mel says man? how's the uh, fried lice and Kim yeah. says well, that's say fried rice, make rice make you plick bad. well it came from him he said to Bell let me tell you this joke and when they started I said guys we can't do this and Kim said what do you mean you can't do it I'm Chinese we can do it anything we want to do so we did it and we got away with it and yes. I think I was condemned in Hong yeah. Kong and Shanghai yeah. but that's about it <laughs> Here he is again. The killer. Around, two killers. One, yes, two. Yeah. The beauty of the Lethals so is they have a break. sense oh, of no. humor oh, to them. At, at oh. times when you really need it, to kind of a, it's a good relief to have that humor coming at you. And, and humor is a difficult... I think I think, comedy, humor, there's a there's kind of a difference between two. One comes out of character, and that's a, one who has a sense of humor, and the other is an emotional picture that is a comedy. In ours, it's humor that comes out of a given situation. And it's... uh, If you come up with it and you improvise it, and you don't have actors that have a good sense of timing, uh, you're dead. In some cases, if you have four actors and three of them have a sense of timing, well, you can always cut the timing for the fourth guy and make him look like he's a genius. Um, But when you have three or four people who are witty, have, have that knowledgeable sense of timing, For their own sense of humor, it 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 makes it makes magic. I mean, I can throw one word at Mel Gibson and he'll run with it. You know, sometimes you just you have an actor who's doing a scene that's uh, expository. We're in a scene of action right now. Mel running. This is Mel actually getting hit and rolled over a hood of a car. Am I nuts? Yeah. At this point right here, you can see he pulled a hamstring, and uh, and we had to be very careful because I I pushed the actor too far.
1: Talk about Connie, Connie,
0: Connie Palmisano, and Mick Rogers—two incredibly great stunt coordinators and second unit directors. Mick is about to direct a going on to direct a picture now with Jean Claude -Claude Van Damme. It's going to be his first picture, and he well deserves it. And Connie, um, I don't want him to go away right away because if I do an action film, I can't do it without him. uh, Yeah, coordinating the the second unit action director with a first unit is then here's where storyboards come in. Because you storyboard an action sequence with your stunt coordinator and with your second unit director. In a case like, I used to like to shoot all my own footage. But you get into a case like this where there's just no time, it would've cost us another three or four weeks of shooting. If I was gonna do it, well, I have the opportunity of hiring a second unit director. In this case, I hired two, I hired Connie and Mick. And they're geniuses. And we decided, since there should be, could be competition between the two, that I would get the best out of both in the storyboard meetings where we would come up with an idea and discuss it through. And then we'd assign one stunt, one, one action sequence to each of them and, and let them go and do it on their own. And then they, we would match. We would cut that if it was right. If it wasn't, they would go back and pick up the pieces until it was right. And then we would cut it and where the void was of our real actors instead of the stunt guys running, uh, we were all set to just to cut in those pieces. Um, they are two incredible people. Connie did the um, freeway sequence, which is as good as ever has been done. Um, and Mick did the um, entire end sequence, the, the shootout in the warehouse and the, the boat. and uh, So between the two, as I said, you hire people like this, and they really make you look good. But I thank them. I really do. They're, they're worth everything.
1: This scene uh, ran a couple minutes longer. We did? The first time we cut Which it. Which one? This one in here. What, what did we do? I mean, you cut out, uh, you wanted to trim it up a little bit because you thought the pace was a little off.
0: Well, all, all scenes. You know, you, you, you cut a scene, first cut a scene together. Um, although that's not true. You have some editors that... Maybe even cut too tight the first time through, but Frank is great. He kind of cuts Frank. Frank curiosity. He cuts. He's so into your own, into the mind of the director, that's phenomenal. And and he's usually pretty tight. But you go in and you start tightening scenes down and tightening it up and tightening it up and looking and tightening it up. It's like getting a haircut. That's enough. Don't take any more off. And uh, and so we always make we we shoot long so we can delete. I, I once. Uh, uh, did a TV show when I was directing TV and I shot it to the length it was supposed to be and I realized I'd made the biggest mistake of my life because there was no way I could change the timing of that and uh, because I didn't have the excess footage and the excess scenes and the way of, of really creating a sense of timing for the film and uh, I'll never do it again now I always have excess sometimes you're a little upset with yourself as I said with the excess because you may love a scene very much it took you a long time to do it. You put a lot of emotion in it, and the actors put a lot into it. And you realize it's going to be on the cutting room floor for the good of the film. But that's a rarity. It's most of the time, it, it, you realize it's got to go.
2: So this was shot in, in, actually, in Chinatown. We had made the discussion prior to making the movie whether or not we're going to use L.A. Chinatown, and there was some talk about making sure we be going to San Francisco for Chinatown. We ended up using, we utilized every square inch of Chinatown in L.A. in this movie. What you see him running through in this alley is everything that's there.
0: Well, more important than that was the restaurants. We ate every day. Boy, I put on 20 pounds from January night to where I am now. Just, we always, we shoot by location, our locations are picked by restaurants, if you know my producer, Joel Silver. And we ate ourselves into oblivion. But Mills is right, we, we shot here and, uh, uh, it, it covers every bit of
1: Chinatown for this chase. This is a great fight intro. Oh boy. let start to show Jet's skills.
0: Jet, Jet, Florida. This so, matter there's a scene coming with uh, Mel, uh, where Mel uh, fights Jet, his first fight with him. Jet, Mel is, is an adept, an athlete as I've ever met. He's fast, he's quick. He loves to do his own stunts. Uh, he hasn't um, slowed down in in these ten years at all, and yet when he did the fight with Jet, Jet was so fast that Mel couldn't react to the punches. They were coming so fast, so he had to memorize the fight moves of his head throws, and not even looking at that, what was coming, he couldn't time. He just would throw his body in the direction he knew it was coming. It was. Jet's just too fast. We tried slowing him down. Sorry, that was not what we hired. So, sit, please. It's a great actor, Eddie. Cole. Yeah, Eddie. It's the first time this actor ever me. made I'm a, a uh, an English-speaking film. He's a tequila, uh, an actor from um, so China, mainland China, who's been living in Vancouver and doing uh, only Asian films. This is the first time he did an American it. film. Oh, English. What a delightful person! What a wonderful actor. Huh? Bread. Toast, toast. Oh yeah, yeah, toast. No, toast bread,
3: bread, bread, Hey, you know anybody here? My uncle. Mm. He paid. So we can come to America. You been in contact with him?
0: I leave messaging. What's your uncle do? It's interesting coming from television. In China. He's it, 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 you look at She's television, artists. and and uh, there's a lot of ways you can look at it. It's no like uh, oh, I'm know. using this to get out of it, or wow, am I lucky to be in it? You know, and when I, I, I used, used to do uh, the TV shows, where I would life. I would shoot well, uh, you want the best twelve pages yeah, a day. I mean Twilight's own um, the the man on the wing was two and a half days of photography. The Naked Cities and Route Sixty Sixes were five days. Uh sixty page script. It was you had average twelve pages a day. And I used to go home at night. You know what? And and think about the twelve pages I shot. And if I were if that was a feature. If that was a feature, they would only ask me to do three pages a day at the most.
2: So what would I have done different? Why would I have
0: Would I have indulged myself? Because I thought what I did for the TV show was 100% right. But I would re-edit it in my mind and reshoot it and then the fourth wall would appear, which very seldom is in in television. And I would start to re-evaluate what a motion picture was versus the film. Now, I never looked down on the TV show because I was thrilled to be doing it. And I put the same effort into it, but I figured if I got the opportunity to do a feature, how am I gonna do it different? And it, it really, Set up the road for me when I had the opportunity as a matter of fact, I had three opportunities of doing features, but they put me right back into television until, so even though I practiced and I thought I'd talked it through until I had the omen uh, I really wasn 't ready for features and uh, the indoctrination and the learning I did in TV was phenomenal plus the fact knows there were a lot of great writers and there was a there were anthologies to do and uh, and I was fortunate I also did everything from comedies to, to drama, to action, to westerns, to cop shows. I was never put in a corner or in a niche. And um, it's helped me f- phenomenally as a, uh, a director because in every movie there's a touch of it all. So it was a good education. And then when we first started to shoot this series, it wasn't a series. It was a picture called Lethal Weapon. I'd never done an action film. And, uh, and when I read... Shane Black's script, The Lethal Weapon. Uh, it was the first picture that had, for me, a reason to be made with the title of an action film because I had great characters in it, and great, um, the characters evolved phenomenally. Mel Gibson's character uh, uh, goes from, as I said, a character who cares very little about life, much less his own, and it goes on to the end of the movie, it's called Character Arc, he decides he wants to live and uh, has his moment with Danny he says, I'm not nuts, and Danny says, you're right. And so the picture had these beautiful characters, some wonderful uh, relationships to be built and on top of it, it had action. And so I said, wow, this is my first chance to do an action film that has a reason to be made rather than just gratuitous action, and the action evolved out of the situations. And um, I saw it as a small film, uh, very intimate, and therefore I wanted 185, and we shot it 185. And uh, then little did I know that the audiences were going to ask for two, and therefore the studios were going to ask for two, and then oh, yeah. two was going to take on somewhat of a different meaning. It was going to open it up because it was a sequel, and it was kind of action-based, and I'd already created the characters, or the characters had already been created. and um, uh, it was going to be—it was be a, a wider scope because the action was going to be wider because the characters were going to be bigger. It had lost its intimacy, and therefore we went to two, three, five. And um, uh, it was—it was—it was really a good education for me too, because how to use, although I had done it on on The Omen and on Superman, how to use uh, an, a a wide format on intimate moments. Well, here we're looking at a scene right now with Danny and Mel in a locker room. Uh, and that's two, three, five, but if you force your composition so you, you may have something filling the screen that's empty, but you can't take your eyes off of what you're being driven at, and that is the two actors, um, it works for you. If you balance that, if you threw them in the middle of the scene right now, in the middle of the frame, uh, they would be lost in the water. This way I'm cutting both of them on the edge. You're forcing the audience to look kind of through Mel's eyes. You're feeling Danny looking at you. And, uh, and when you pop wide, uh, there's a good reason. And there's a guy, we put a guy in, uh, in this scene, the, the policeman there, he stands up and, and knocks his locker, which forced Mel and Danny into a sotto voce scene where they, voce. it was a, a scene where they were forced to kind of talk Low between them, whisper between because it was an intimate, intimate scene. So you you use the frame to, to work for you. But I call this really an action 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 frame. Uh, hey, a lot, you an intimate guys. story what is one eight five. But the audiences are all looking for two three five today. And so if you know how to use it, you use it right. Okay, so since every picture you have uh, Joe Pesci in every Lethal Weapon, and since this is a uh, unedited, uh, uncensored version you're going to see. We always have they fuck you somewhere. In one, it was they fuck you in the drive-ins. In two, it was the hospitals. And I mean in in two, and then three, and now in four, we were desperately looking for that scene. And uh, uh, again, Channing Gibson, Uh, if I remember right, I said the telephones, I hated the cell cell phones. Everybody hates cell phones. Let's go for the cell phones. And lo and behold, you know, five days later, Channing Gibson walked in with this scene written as is practically. And we broke up reading it, and you knew we had something great. And that was uh, turning Pesci and and Chris Rock loose uh, on it. But as good as they are is Mel and Danny's reactions to it, what's going on, which were all improvised, And everything that Mel did was improvised, with the telephone and calling him. Um, And Chris, with the when you dial his mother's phone, was improvised. You turn these guys loose, and you have what's called good. uh, It's good motion pictures. It's good acting, action and reaction. And here we had two great guys doing the action: Joey Pesci, Chris Rock, improvising like hell. And you had. Two guys reacting, great guys, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, who have a great sense of listening. Good acting is also hearing and listening, and they do, and when they do, they fill every moment, and the scene becomes a classic to me. It's one of the, if not the funniest scene in the picture. So uh, I, I love this desperately. It's, uh, it's it's what makes Lethal Weapon. It's why you want to come back year after year. Hopefully, you'll be coming back year after year after year. When we get to 19, I'm going to quit, right now... We keep going for a while. So here we are. I gotta shut up and you guys listen to this because this is a funny scene.
2: And the only other thing that we that, that came in second if we weren't gonna do the telephone was gonna be we've played around with the idea of a taxes. We fuck you with taxes, but at the end of the day it seemed that the telephone was a better one than the taxes.
0: Or the insurance company. Yes. We get- I always wanted to get rip off the the I mean, insurance company rip us off every day. But that's coming in much bigger form one of these days.
2: But those were the, those were a couple of the uh, different ideas. But this one obviously worked the best. Danny
0: Glover's daughter was pregnant. The whole premise was going to be that she was married to a cop. Danny would have a, would kill the guy if he was a cop because he he always said he didn't want her to marry anybody in the police department, uh, police officer and uh since it was going to be and that was going to be the whole premise of this piece and we needed a guy we have to have somebody with a sense of humor so Mel could play off this whole thing and chris rock why not chris rock he's you know why why chris rock you know, why not chris rock is the way i look at it and uh he, he came to us uh through his managers and uh i think i met him the day he came on the set wasn't there no we came to wardrobe Thank came you know, yeah, for wardrobe, yeah. and uh, he's just a sweet, nice kid. And I said, wow, is that that guy that's on television? is so funny? And, uh, but turn him loose. He's like a wind-up. You know, you hit on and jump back. So why not Chris Rock? I mean, there were a lot of other wonderful black actors that could have played the role, but here you have an opportunity of not only have a sensation, but you have a guy that's got a following, so it helps the picture. Any way you can help a picture, help it.
3: What do you give? I want to go home and change my
0: shirt. used to stand off and oh, fight those things. No, I'm I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But when you look you at it, dress, it's right? such a competitive market, especially pictures like this. You go out summer. Well, Every weekend, there's two more come big come pictures in. coming, or two Maybe more hits, or me. a couple of sleepers that's going to come in. And you you only got, if you don't make it in the first week, you're out of the theaters. I mean, if you don't What's get the up there into high grosses, the, the, the exhibitors pull you out of the theaters, and you don't have a chance. So anything you have that can help a picture get its kickoff, get started, get a good week, first week, go for it. Unless you're not coming out during the season. But nowadays, everything's a season. The entire three hundred and sixty-five days are, seem to have their own weekend. It's a killer. Anyway, this is a good scene coming up where Danny is. And Mel just senses it when he gets out of the car. You can see it on his face. Something's wrong.
3: Hey honey, Wait, something's wrong here. Where's Mel? I mean, that's the I whole just thing. How
0: do they know? What's this all about?
3: What the hell are you doing here? They took
0: the And then this little laser thing. This was... The laser thing was suggested to me by a police officer, a, a sheriff named uh, Ray Clever, Cleaver up in uh, San Juan Islands. He's a sheriff there, and he showed me this new laser pistol grip. It's actually a laser built into the pistol. And I said, wow, what a great idea. And he said, I'll tell you something. If you really want to put a, a heavy down, a bad guy down, here. he said, don't point the laser at his head, point it at his groin, and watch how fast he's going to drop his gun. And uh, who we got so I got to give him credit here. for this. It was. Hey, uh, a great little handle, good a good little piece for Mel to sneak his way into this scene. What'd you do with the homes? And we're about to see Jet Li at his best. Not at his best, just at his beginning. He's only in first gear. He is so fast. Drop
1: your guns. Drop easy.
0: I'd, I'd ride on any New York subway with him.
1: are you, honey?
2: And this was done on uh, once again at Warner Brothers on the inside uh, stage.
0: And uh, the exterior house is also at Warner Brothers. Well, it's been on the back lot. It's the, the house we've used in the very first pictures on the back lot of Warner's. You've probably seen it. In other pictures, they doctor it up, change it. But our deal with Warner Brothers is when we leave the set, that when we return to it, you no matter how many years later, they have to put it in the same condition it And we used to shoot the interiors on the location. But since we had the fire sequence, which is coming up, Uh, we had to uh, do it because of safety on a stage uh, where we had much more uh, control of the fire conditions rather than the possibility of a wind coming up outside and not being able to confine the fire. Look at this. Look at Chad. He's so fast that the film doesn't even catch him. That, that piece where Jet did the spin upside down, he picked up the guns, he's actually on a wire. We painted it out with CGI. And he, and he jumps off the balcony there, he's on a wire too. But you know, you, if you slow motion any of this footage, it would look like a John Woo film. You know, and, and, and uh, not that I disrespect John Woo, like he's sensational, but it, it, we, our sense of reality is, is different than their sense of reality. And uh, slow motion in, in a scene like that would have become one of the the martial arts films and uh, we had to ask jet to slow down now these scenes i hate these i hate and this is you know you're on a set and you're burning a set and the heat is so intense and the actors are so good about it uh, but they were you know suffering tremendous heat they were stifled the air was being sucked out of it, it, it Created a draft that went up. We burnt the top of the set on the first take, so we had to leave and come back, and they had to redo all the ceilings because it created such a chimney vacuum that we set the place on fire. And set off the sprinklers and ruined the set, just ruined the set. But this is dangerous. And I hate it. Uh, you know, you have all kinds of precautions. You have all kinds of safety officers around. You have you have fire blankets with about ten different people. You have extinguishers. You have they're in the middle, you try and put them like long lens and everything, but uh, that is fire. And it's not gas jets. That's fire, you know, we actually had to put them out. So you see gas jets at certain times, but not not here. That's actually things burning. We built a second exterior house so we could actually burn it down and be in control of it. The, the original house we couldn't burn down because we had to use it again, plus the fact that, um, that we couldn't control it there. There are too many trees. And uh, so we built this house, the exterior of this house where it's burning fully. A kid in it. Stephen Lamb. Stephen Lamb, first time actor. Marion Dougherty, one of the great casting women of all time, the ones who found Mel, found Danny, found Joe, found everybody. And, uh, she is responsible for the success of lethal weapons, as far as I'm concerned. She, she's the grand dom of casting, and uh, through her, from her loins have come all the young kids in the business. But she's still the best. And she went out to the Asian neighborhood and just set up a casting call and found this little boy, and he was just a gem. I like directing kids. Uh, yeah, if you have, yes, I love it actually because it's it's. I think on the Goonies, I mean, it was just it was eight, I don't know, ten, seven, how many kids they were. They were just this wonderful group of children that uh, were naive and fresh and raw and, and unproblemed. And uh, it's just wonderful because you can provoke things in them that if you can't in actors it, because they're going to stop and analyze it, whereas the kids that would just flow with it. Uh, having been an actor, I say actors are a pain in you ass, uh, I love them. I empathize with them, and I relate to them, but it's, you know, you're working with a lot of egos and a lot of temperament, and uh, a lot of problems, and you got to use um, all the, uh, if you had Psych 101, you got it made, you know, and as long as they didn't. <laughs> Here's where you we uh, lead into the Las Vegas. Oh, right. Two weeks of Las Vegas. Here, we're coming onto the freeway chase. That's still LA, LA right there, and, uh... We had a freeway chase, which was going to take us weeks, both between the second unit and the first unit. And uh, no matter where we went in California, nobody would cooperate. The state wouldn't cooperate. The city wouldn't cooperate. Nobody would help us. But the governor of Nevada and the mayor of San, of, uh, of, uh, of Las Vegas, when they were approached and told what it was, they said, "Hey, if you could work within this parameter, it was four and a half miles, there was a." End of the freeway was just being built and a new turn off. They said, you have to be out of it by traffic rush hour in the afternoon. and You got to be, you can't come on until morning rush hour. You can have it for as long as you want. And they were sensational. So if he runs for office in, uh, in uh, as the governor, if the, you if know, if governor runs for office in California, we'll back him. And if the mayor of Las Vegas wants to be the mayor of LA, we'll back her. We got no cooperation and it's too bad I mean, this industry is the history of Los Angeles to a greater degree and has you know done some wonderful things for it and uh, as as and vice versa but they they don't care anymore so it's too bad maybe we'll move to San Diego or creeks are
3: where you always fix complicated.
1: Closer. don't be shy, Roger. Get it up there, right Touch right. touch that's it. This is
0: a pretty, pretty amazing. Pretty hairy stunts, yeah. There's Mel That's really Mel. And that was Mel coming out of the car. There was one shot, it wasn't Mel. We didn't see his head. That's not Mel. That's Mel. And in he goes. But I mean, he was. Obviously, he had a safety harness on. He was buckled to the between the windshield and the, uh, the hood. Um, and the buck the uh, safety harness is rigged so that if he we push him over with it on to make sure that no of, yeah. of his appendages can actually touch the ground. Um, I need to ask you something. He, Mel's a, a strange cat. I mean, he just loves to do his own stunts. And uh, on occasion, I'd be talking to him I'd say that up there that you know the stunt guy's gonna do that. And, and then he's on top of the building, and I look and I'm talking to the stuntman, but Smello's up there. So I, I watch him every second. Rick. The insurance company, I mean, they, they do put restrictions on stars doing a lot of this stuff because the entire picture is predicated on I mean, it. He's hurt. We're shut down. We're insured. Now, here, uh, this is Mel. I mean, this is uh, it's both Mel and. Uh, because Stunt Double was a wonderful guy. I knew Stunt double just the first year. Lance. What? Lance. Lance, uh, his father's a great stuntman, too. His father's a great stuntman. Lance.
1: Gilbert. Gilbert?
0: Gilbert. Yep. Good boy. And that's Mel. That's obvious that's Mel. That's not Mel. That's not Mel. No way I'm allowed to do that. But That's Lance Gilbert. Look at that. And that's another great stuntman. He actually did that role.
2: Too bad what happened. Wasn't
0: it? Yeah, it was a mistake, mistake. Richard. Uh, but th- this is both Mel and Lance. You can see when it's—I uh, mean, you know it's Mel. That's Lance, obviously. I'm not going to let Mel do that. Although Mel would have loved it, on that.
2: we had a—they had, had built this table, obviously, which had this titanium bottom, so that he could go 40 miles an hour and 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 be secure and safe. But he even said it was getting pretty hot under there after a while.
0: Yeah. Scraping on that pavement.
2: Obviously, all stunt cars.
0: Yeah, that's something you know about. That's those are all stunt drivers, and if they're not an actual stunt driver, they're called Bill Young's driving team. Precision team. Precision driving team, and they work under the coordination of the stunt coordinator. So the stunt coordinator will have, like that's that was uh, Lance. Here's Mel. No, yeah, that's Lance. Here's. Danny, here's Mel, coming up right now. Well, right behind him are all stunt drivers for the first two rows, and behind them are Bill Young's precision drivers. And they know everybody's planned, If something happens, a tire blows, something goes, and this car goes left and that car goes right. Everybody knows where to go, so there's 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 no chance that any car can ram another one and smash into the actor.
2: I hear you have this this great thing where the where the the Pontiac was on a kind of a little, really low riding, kind of a flatbed. Where's that? A camera right here, and you had a little dolly right next to him. With no. Mel going back and forth, so he's sliding a little bit as he's rolling back and forth right there. You no, know, no,
0: it's just a toad car. It was a tow car. It
2: was a, it was a tow car. You had it a lot lower. To, you took the wheels off and made it lower to the ground.
0: That was the chase. Okay. You know later. Okay. Okay. Well, or maybe here, Mills, I don't remember. You know, you you, you forget after a while. What have you said, so.
2: Here's a really good thing where you're... Uh,
0: this is a mistake.
2: They actually, the wheel
0: actually, is touched. Now, what happened was they're being towed by a car. Right there at that, at that moment, we, had a, we were on a camera car towing that car, and the damn Mercedes hit it too hard, and then the Pontiac went up in the air with Mel and, and Danny and it attached to the camera car, and another six, eight inches would have flipped us off. Now this was, we were just lucky when they ran off that we had cameras here. It's all real. It's all real. That is all real. There's no effects, opticals in this whatsoever. There is process back at Melandani, that's process. That's process, that's process. But uh, we shot it we drove a car off a ramp. We drove a car off another ramp into the building. We drove a car out of the building. We drove a car onto the freeway right here, and that's all real. We had no time to do anything else. And the other, inside the building with the process, was a set that we built. We actually carried the car through it, and then we did a process shot of it where we showed them in the car. And this is from a newsreel clipping. We, this was suggested by Steve Perry, which was a great idea. It was in one of those documentary police chases where a guy was going down the road and he got smashed by a T-bone. It breaks my heart to see these cars all broken up, everybody would want one. And there's a brand new Pontiac, that, as a matter of fact those are prototypes, Pontiac gave us these cars, they have no numbers on them so they have to be destroyed when they're done. And we did destroy them. At the premiere, they drove up in one of those,
1: smoking, sparks flying.
3: Now
1: now this is a. Uh a scene. I remember you guys were arguing a bit about what to have the voiceover on the loudspeaker saying where we are to clarify that they're in this U.S. Customs Trading Zone.
0: Right, Free Trade Zone. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you have a story, and you, as I said, we write every week uh, and, and to keep up, and sometimes you write something, and everybody's, you think it's working, and then you look at it and say, oh, my God, we already shot that other piece. That's not going to work here. So we come to scenes that are called Morris the Explainer's. Morris the Explainer's is a scene where, where uh, is that a dog barking? Yeah, Murphy. Murphy. Uh, you come to scenes where you do voiceover. So you you have sometimes you have scenes that 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 just don't play because you you had something happen earlier and you don't have the time in a picture like this to go back and reshoot it. So we have what we call Mars the Explainer. Mars the Explainer came right, from television yeah. where you had these. Scenes with Perry Mason at the end. Tell me, Perry, how did you know that he was really? And those are called Mars, the Explainers, where he sums up the whole movie. We do it with voiceover. So we may have a scene where we have to explain something to an audience to fill in the holes, and we do it with voiceover. And we talked to earlier about opening during the summer and that every week another picture opens. I mean, um, last year. I'm not sure of the quote, but it's something like, 350 films were made, or more, which means a film a day, if you really sit to figure that out. And, and years ago, when I first got into it, there were maybe, I don't know, 20 pictures made, and uh, maybe more, but you always you always had an opening week, or two weeks, it was your, your time to run. Uh, Pictures uh, were called. You, if you made a little picture with a lot of love and a lot of caring, and it didn't have big stars, and you would dedicate that picture, and the studio was dedicated to it, as, as and they respected the picture makers. They would call it letting the picture get its legs. You'd open, you'd open very small, maybe it opened in two or three towns, cities, and it would get start to get some momentum, get good reviews, and gradually they would add a few more theaters and a few more theaters and picture could run for six months. Nowadays, um, it's just the opposite. If the picture doesn't do it when it first opens, with rare exception, when it first opens, it's pulled. It's gone. Because there's ten other pictures that want that spot. And it, it's too bad because with the exception of, of uh, Sundance and uh, and maybe uh,
3: Thank
2: you. Thank
0: you. Hey. Miramax. Miramax and the exception, huh? Searchlight, searchlight. Um, but even, even those, you got to be careful. about it. they're still in business. Of course, they're in business to make money. But uh, it, it's, it's very the, the art of make of make, of make of motion pictures is ninety percent gone from what it used to be. Now it's, it's a technical business. It's, uh, I mean, the way we're going with the computers and and generating our future. Uh, it's going to be uh, Max Hedrum. Uh, Hed, Hedrum? Is that what his name is? Headroom. Headroom. Uh, uh, but we'll be creating uh, actors. You'll take the eyes of Paul Newman and this and that and that and that, create an actor and you'll create a personality. And it's all on computer and the studio owns that computer and that's that. And they own the character and actors are going to be bye bye. I mean, it sounds stupid, but that once was told to me by. you stay there, okay? That's beautiful. We'll be right there. Joe Barbera, H- Hanna Barbera. When they were first getting into computers and animation, I mean, Joe said, there's going to be a day where the actors aren't going to be around anymore. It's all going to be computer-generated. And they're going to look back at this stuff as history. And you know, he's not very far wrong. I think it, it will happen. I mean, you know, they're going to create people. and you, The actors are going to... I mean, the, the public's going to fall in love with a character and this and that. And you're going to forget he's computer-generated because he has such sense my word verisimilitude, that he has a sense of reality on that screen. Um, I hope it's not in my time, but I assume it will be. So, all those actors better get real estate licenses. uh, So anyway, I don't know where the industry's going. It's... Where it was was fascinating. Where it's going, I think, it kind of, um, it's, it's much more of a business. It has to be. It's so expensive to make a film. It's so expensive to release a film. A lot of times it costs more to release a film than it does cost to make it. And and the studios are out there, and um, they're not out there to, to lose money. They have shareholders and, 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 and chairmen of the board. And uh, if they don't do well, they're fired from their jobs. or replaced. And if the company doesn't do well, it goes down the tubes. So it's really just, it was a, bi- a business, but it was a much smaller business today. It's, 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 the, it's a giant, and it, it's consuming itself, and I think it's consuming creative talent. That girl is a producer. That's Jenny Lou Tugan, who was my secretary at first, then my assistant, then my associate producer, and now she's a producer on her own. And since she's Asian and I needed her, bang, she was there and she acted. She's great tell them how you shot this? With oh, yeah. Her. This scene coming up, which is one of my favorites, the, the, oh, all the scenes in the picture, practically, came from group discussions. And then Channing would take them and, and make them 500% better than you ever thought he had. But there was the idea of using um, uh, LSD. No, uh, that was the 60s. We all did, Your Honor. But this was uh, the idea of using um, laughing gas. Yeah, what's it called? Uh, Nitrous oxide. Uh, To make the actor talk. And uh, it's funny because every time I go to the dentist, I I insist on on getting it because it really you you laugh so much and you feel so mellow, you take all the pain out. Um, Anyway, since we had what, one, two, three, four, five actors in the scene and It's a scene of artificial laughter and it's very difficult for actors and it's very difficult to sustain it and very difficult to validate it. So I hid six cameras, everybody got a camera, a close-up or a two-shot and a master and it was the only way to do it. I couldn't keep going back and back and making a take on another actor and a take on another actor. First of all, it wouldn't match. The laughter wouldn't match. Physical movements wouldn't match. Um, the improvisation wouldn't match so i decided we'd hide cameras we hit them in one-way mirrors we hit them on sides of the sets we we did it everywhere we possibly could and I think we shot this scene we did about three takes in the end of the day and it was there but i thought it could be fresher and we came in the next morning and we shot two more takes and and we had it it was hysterical. you were on the set and you were laughing yourself silly and we you knew you had it, but then is the audience going to buy it? And, and until I screened the scene with uh, 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 an unbiased audience, uh, and I heard the, the laughter start and it became infectious, I was very nervous about it. But it's a scene I love. And there's a lot of improv. This guy, he's crisp. Rock is one of the great. Comedy improvisers uh, that ever walk the face of the earth, as you well know. I I did a picture picture with Richard Pryor once, and uh, I, uh, Richard was one of the funniest men I ever met in my life. But this kid's funnier. If you hear this, Richard, I apologize. No method, yeah, it's all method, in a strange way. That this is all method acting in a strange way, only because method is you're so inside the character, the character comes to life through your eyes. Um, I mean, if you want to break down method that everybody's got another form of, to, to go back in the history, but once you find your character and you can run with it, you can improvise anything you want. Because you are that character, and you are in a given situation, and you know how that character's going to live it, not you. And, um, and, and and it's pure. I mean, they, what just fell out of their mouths is is, is delightful.
1: It was funny uh, in this scene, remember Kim Chan went to the dentist, Oh well, he had his teeth taken out Yeah, he had his teeth taken out so it just happened to it, it, it
0: happened uh, the day before I mean the week before we were shooting and he stopped he wouldn't let the guy put his teeth back in so it looked like he really had a reason to go to the dentist. Is Joey? Look at Joey! Look at that face! You gotta laugh when he walks in the door.
3: Look at that. Does that hurt? Does that hurt? Ah, the
0: old thing, all the gags. That's the three Stooges. Three stooges. We get we get a ton of scripts that come in between Lauren's company, which we we're really together on, uh, and, and my company. Uh, we do get a ton of scripts either submitted for me to direct or for us to produce, Mills to make or Lauren to make or whoever to make. Um, I used to read, but I just I'm read out. I hate the expression and not red out. I'm read out, and um, and so we have readers. We have we have about five outside readers, and uh, if somebody's really. Very special, Lauren will read it. If some of you are a special, Mills will read it. Lauren's got some wonderful people working for her doing the same thing. So if somebody says, listen, I read the script, there's a good synopsis on it and I really think you should read it, uh, I'll listen to them and I'll read it. And uh, the, the, it's the simplest thing in the world for me to make up my mind whether I wanna make a movie. or not. because when I read a script, I'm very fortunate, when I got started in television, I was doing Loretta Young and Steve McQueen. I wanted to do the big shows at MGM. And uh, they had six days prep, six days shoot, and they ran into a situation where, on a show called um, Trials of O'Brien, with Edmund O'Brien, and uh, they ran into a situation where they only had three days to prepare, and there was already a director set. And he said, I can't prepare this movie in three days. And my agent said, I got a guy that can do it. And he said, he called me, he said, can you prepare an hour show in three days? I said, where, he said, at, at MGM with Ed- Edwin O'Brien. I said, are you kidding? I can do it in a day. Because I had this, I've, somehow I was born with this facility to read a script, and when I read it, I shoot it. And uh, I almost do it, you know, instinctually, and, sure but when, then when i get on the set I, i'll change it radically because i saw it totally different but that's that's not the point the point is when i read a script I I, I I see it and i shoot it and if i really love what i just read and what i just shot i want to make that picture i want to make that picture because i'm protecting myself because i want to see that movie the way i saw it not the way some other director is going to do it because they'll never do it the way i do it and it's just usually just as simple as that and i read something and I see it, well, I want to I make, make it somewhere. kind of to protect it. That's the only reason I did mind. Superman. I did Superman to, to protect it. It That's was right. given yeah. to me, it was 550 50 pages by the Salkinds. Yeah. Uh, it was gonna be, no, it be directed by an English, what? was No, it was gonna be directed by an English yeah. director in Italy, being produced in Italy, and produced by two Russians who were living in Costa Rica, I said, "Wait a minute, man! This is this is bread and butter. This is apple pie. This is Americana. You can't. These guys can't do it." So uh, I accepted the script in a strange way, only to protect it because I, I I've seen Superman since he was created. So um, my my decision is really as simple as that. It's really not the quality of the script or the or the depth of the story. It's just what what has provoked my interest that I got so involved with it. I. I want to see it so desperately. And there's a, there's a lot of ways of breaking down scripts or acceptance. The story is the thing, how it works, what the character is, what the development is, what the buildup is, what the humor is, whatever. I, I don't analyze them, I just go by instinct. We were shooting down here at the railroad crossing. This this is the one where I showed you show the banana, show the banana slip on it. We've seen this scene earlier when they were stopped at a at a railroad crossing and we saw the guy killed. And now, bang! They're in the same situation. The audience goes, "Oh no!" But anyway, oh oh yes, outside of it were two stray dogs. Yeah, two two stray dogs. And and it was not a very nice neighborhood. And yes, uh, I, I said, "Jeff, go get him." And he got him. We brought him into the trailer. We fell in love with him. My niece, who was the uh, associate producer on the picture and very good at her job, took one and named it Riggs after Martin Riggs. And he has it. Somebody else took it on this picture. We probably be between uh, one of the assistant, uh, one of the editors, found uh, a bitch with nine puppies, and all uh, the other dogs and cats. We probably. Spotted 15 dogs and cats on the picture and got them home. I'm I'm a big animal rights uh, If We learn to respect animals. Maybe we learn to respect ourselves. Uh, Anyway, this was a hell of a sequence. The the train wreck scenes. I I love this. I had never done one before. And I thought it was uh, really kind of great because we set up a situation and we pay it off later. I love those things where you set something up. Bait the audience, bait the audience, and then pay it off. of these fuckers, Rod. I say we just find him and shoot him. What do you think? Audience, audience timing. You know, I once did it in the opening where, where I, I David Warner is decapitated by a sheet of glass. And when we first cut it, that was the first picture I did with Stuart Baird. Uh, we first cut it. Uncle too. It was it was good. The glass comes off. The, thing, you know, the head rolls in the air. It's terrible. And uh, and the audience uh, screams. But it just it didn't have the impact that I really wanted. And usually you kind like of do things by count, a one, and a two, wet. and a three. And so when people cover their eyes, they that's usually go, oh, you can almost count it, one, two, three. And I realized that's what it was. So when they when they were uncovering their eyes, it was over. So we recut it and we extended it so that we broke the pattern. And a one, a two, and a three, and they opened their eyes. they looked up and the head was still rolling in the air far beyond the time it should. And there was this horrendous scream from the audience on top of it. And we had broken the mold, but it was a sense of timing, it was editorial timing. You know. It's great to break the mold once a while, break their expectations. It's also like Joel and I, I had some Superman, I, uh, a wham chart. I used to just call it a, 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 a 10 chart, Joel calls it something else, but where you go uh, vertically one to 10 and you go horizontally, 0 to whatever the length of the film is, 120 minutes or 110 minutes. And you look at your scenes and you say, well, that's a 9, for audience reaction, that's a 3, that's a 2, okay, that's a talk scene. it's gonna hold a minute, that's a 5. And, and, you, and you, if you look at a film, you can almost predict the way it's gonna go because... And so when the audience settles into those, you break them. So you break the audience, you break their expectations. And, uh, the Wamo o truck became very popular. I lost my thumb on my, the end of my thumb, believe it or not. I dropped my WAMO chart. truck. It was about 200 pounds. You yeah,
2: remember we always liked this idea from Lethal Weapon 3 with the warehouse with the oh, yeah. insulation yeah. on
0: it. insulation It's right. a great look, and Andre made it look spectacular. Mm. With the blue light bouncing on it. Andre Barkovia, what a, what a cameraman. What a great cameraman, what a great personality. Good guy. That's another important thing to me in filmmaking. Take care of yours, buddy. It's you cast your crew as well as you cast your cast because we're really fortunate to be doing this business.
1: It's what they call a foreign trade zone. There are a lot of shady deals going down with the Chinese military.
0: Here's a Marcy explainer scene. We're talking over this scene and filling holes.
1: corrupt Chinese general.
0: And I'm not, and so it would set up the rain in the aftermath of the situation. We
1: had a bridge scene like the conspiracy theory. Same
0: bridge. Yep. same bridge, same bridge, same Morris, explainer scene. But anyway, um, uh, you cast your crew because it's, it's a difficult process we are in every day. And if you go to work on Monday morning and you got a bad apple, you got somebody with a bad personality, a bad, just an angry person, or somebody who just doesn't love what they're doing, he's going to affect everybody else. So with actors, sometimes you can't change it because yeah. it's too late, and you find out later that the that particular actor is a pain in the ass. But with with crew, I will I would rather replace a man on the crew for somebody who is, could, will do the job, maybe not quite as good as he does it, but. Because uh, that man who I'm replacing was just pulling everybody down around him. And uh, to me, it's just not worth it. So I, I really try and cast my crew. My keys are all people I know or I find out about before I hire them or before I have a DP hire them. And then I always talk to them and say, I really expect you to make sure your people are going to enjoy what they do, be creative, have an input, and have a sense of humor, and enjoy their jobs. And If not, I don't want them around see all this well now we're getting
2: see that's why I have a very low IQ but I have
0: such a wonderful personality <laughs> see I can't stand that you take words out of my mouth <laughs> uh, but it's it's really it's fun making movies and if you're not having fun there's something wrong someplace and you better change a lot of a lot of directors I know like to create this animosity and hostility well, I said I don't know how they do it and why they do it or how, who, what's, what their home life is like but uh me, I just if if it's going good, I love getting up Monday morning and doing it. And if it's not, and I hate it, there's something wrong. Getting up at 5 a.m. You don't mind it, you know. You you kind of love it if it's you're going to go to work. And well, anyway, here's uh here's a scene that we shot in a warehouse out in uh, Carson City. Was it? Where was it? Just Carson. Carson. It's an industrial complex, industrial area, crime all over. And it was built. It was a plant that was built uh, just before the Second World War to build artillery pieces and heavy casings and shells, and it's all these massive metal processing machines. And there's filth and oil and debris around it. it. Was and the air was. As a matter of fact, I for one, I got very ill in it, as did the DP. We developed some sort of a uh, 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 a asthma, which came from um, bacteria, bacterial asthma. And it took me months after the shooting to get rid of it. It was a terrible, terrible place. But it's the only place that we found, that Mike Reva found, our production designer, that he felt honored the situation and and gave the the setting um, a lot more importance to a shootout than one deserves. And that makes it a little more interesting. Keeps the audience on their toes. Gives them something else to look at. In hindsight, and it's always hindsight, I think I could have shot this on a stage for, um, saved a lot of time, a lot of money, and I'd never gotten my cough. But uh, nonetheless, we were there. And the verisimilitude of it was that Riva wanted it to feel like uh, this industrial complex was on a dock on the water. And as you will see momentarily, we, we go out there outside into the pouring rain, which was really inside, on stage.
1: So why didn't you do the
0: other on the stage? I don't know. I got talked out
1: of it. Well, when we were first looking for the warehouse, we saw a few, but uh, the scene was at night, so it was really hard to cover all the cracks. And oh, and the skylights, skylights You're right.
0: What did it cost us to cover the skylights in this building? Well, uh, that we could have gone and shot nights. But I'm sorry, you know, this studio would have loved me to go and shot nights, but instead we spent twenty thousand dollars to cover the the skylights because when you shoot nights, it's so debilitating. You never get back on schedule, especially nights and yeah. yeah, and the actors hate it. And
2: Plus, is they also the very end of the mo- end of our shooting. This is like day seventy, and everyone was getting
0: tired and wiped. I'm out. I gotta find some oh. there's, there, there's a subject I found that I wanted to make a movie of, many 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 years ago when I was doing television, and uh, I've had it in my kit, and I said I'm gonna make that movie someday when it's right, and uh, it's right, it's right now to find the proper writer and who understands it and wants to sit down and write it. Uh, I think I'd like to write it with them, and uh, and then I'll go and make it. And that's going to be a western. Yeah. I got have a very. I believe westerns, you know, have an opportunity, but the opportunity is predicated on the character. You just can't have a a western. It's got to be something that's really character driven. And what I have is an incredible character in the west, and feel. Uh, t- people will totally relate to him, empathize with him. And, be emotionally charged by him and 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 um, and, and, uh, and there's a lot of pathos in it so that's the uh, thing i've always wanted to do i've waited a lot of years time is right and uh looking to get involved with the proper writer within the next few months and then we'll write it, it may not be my next picture but it'll certainly be uh, my second picture and i was a western but it was it was a, it was a comic book, you know. It was a, it was a wonderful, bigger than life, uh, comic book of the West. I loved it. I loved making it. I, I love working with Mel Gibson. I'm totally spoiled. I'm, totally, totally spoiled as a director. And I dread the day when I know I'm gonna, I, I make movies without Mel Gibson. But, uh, uh, Maverick was, uh, you know, a wonderful, bigger than life. Uh, comic book western and uh, uh, I loved making it I had a great time and maybe you the, the thought of that provoking me into into uh, coming back to my picture I can't tell you the name of it because if I tell you the name of my picture it tells you the whole story but uh, uh, that may have had a lot to do with it I got the taste of the west and I'd like to go back to it I think mine is going to be probably up in the high country it's going to be cold and it's going to be when you, when you come into summer, you're going to really yeah, care about taking in your, later on your, your jacket off now, and feeling the warmth of the sun. Yeah. Your in there but it's, it's, it's yeah. a strong Weston, very strong. Yeah. Maverick was a delight.
3: I'm too for to shit, too. Yeah. Guy's too damn
0: good. Well, yeah, he's damn good. I mean, um, how did he do that thing with a gun? How the hell did he do that? I mean, he took my gun apart with one depth move. How did he do
2: that? Huh? How?
0: I love movies. I loved old movies. Yeah? When I was a okay. when I was a little child, it's my nice. grandfather had a drive-in theater and an old movie theater out in Brooklyn. My mother used to sit me in the back seat and go talk to her sisters, and I was a little inf- a little kid, I guess, and I just sit and watch movies. I've always loved them. My first jobs were changing the marquees and, and the little eight by tens in the theaters, lobbies uh, in a in Mount Vernon where I lived, and uh, I'd steal the little eight by tens and. Uh, I, I've always loved them, but the—I—I uh, I, I don't think—I can't pick who's who I'm influenced by or who I like the most. I love them all. I'm the world's worst critic. I love—I love motion pictures. If I ever had the opportunity of, of uh, taking a, a director who I idolized uh, and doing a film in, in in his style and his wit would be Capra. I, I mean, I just—I—I I, I can look at his films over, and over, and over, and over. I mean, it's just, uh, he, was a, he was a man that always liked to leave you. Know, my, my message with any film I do, is there's always hope at the end. I'm a firm believer in, you know, if you want to be depressed, you can go to a, uh, turn on the news, it's free, and you know, why uh, go to a movie and not come out feeling good. I, I just love the idea of feeling good. And Capra maybe set that in me here. He, every movie he made, there's always that, end moment that you came out of a theater and your heart was full and you felt great and there was some hope in the world. That, that's where I, I I haven't made a film that didn't have that. <laughs> was killed by Chet Lee and the series is over. Ah, wait a minute. Who was that guy in the car? It's Danny Glover and he's gonna save us. This was a horrendous thing. It's hard for me to. See. Smart me to shoot these things. You know why that blood squirted something. Yeah,
1: the pressure. You yeah, we were standing on Jim. Yeah, standing on the ball, the ball. Uh, the, I, I love this final sequence because I'm a big fan of the. Of the West, you know, the Western action film and the Hong Kong action film. This is sort of a clash between the two. A hybrid, if you
0: will.
1: <laughs> hybrid. Good word. Not hybrid. 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 That's
0: what I It is. We we talked about that. This is the best of the West meets the best of the East. You know, here's uh, Mel Gibson who was a Street Fighter, who takes every form he has, and he's a perfectionist of the of the of the Eastern art of. Uh, uh, of martial arts, and uh, you put the pit the two together, and it's it's just wonderful. It's a it's a pit dog against a uh, guess what a uh, pit dog against a uh, sensei. Who sensei? Yeah, right. This was all on a stage. We obviously had to build this. At one point, we said, "We'll go down to the docks and we'll shoot it." And then everybody said, "Are you crazy?" first of all you can't see the water so filthy it'll be so cold we heated this water to 90 degrees even the rain was heated and all this set because it was just so uncomfortable for the actors there was also another ending here where i had jet come up out of the water not dead only being shot once The got did sitting by it so it went on the floor but if, when you shoot these things you plan that if this isn't going to work i can do it the other way you always if you're taking a chance on something, well, I was taking a chance on another ending. It didn't work. The audience didn't buy it. And it was an easy snip.
1: The unfinliest cut of all. This is, again, this is that big pier set that Reva built in six days.
0: This was all built in six days. All the effects, the water, the heating, the lightning.
1: We had a press junket on here,
0: too? Yeah. I love this. This is what the picture's about—the relationship between these two. That uh, even underwater, I I mean, they communicate to each other, and that's the relationship of Riggs and Murtaugh. That's what makes these things a success. You really care about
1: these two guys. I mean,
0: I can't think of any uh, any duo recent years. I don't know any duo. I mean, it's. Bob Hope and Bing Croy, I mean, you know, they've got, they kind of cover the spectrum. They have the wit and humor, they have the emotion, they're really solid actors, as good as they come. I mean, it's, it's, you'd think it would be tough working with an actor who won an Academy Award for directing, but it's just the opposite. I love this three-bit here you put in. I thought he wasn't going to make it, but Danny Voldemort. And then this next scene that follows, I love. I mean, I, the, it's interesting. Uh, we were talking about writing the scene, and when I was a kid, I had a friend who found a robin and had a broken wing, and he, he tried to fix the wing and he couldn't, and this robin became his best friend. We were just kids and he'd ride around town all the time with the robin in his basket. And one day the robin, I don't know, got scared and jumped out of the basket and then this guy ran over his robin with his back tire and killed it and he was destroyed for the entire summer. I mean, nobody could get to him and he had killed his friend and everything and when Channing doing? was going to write this, I, I, I told him the story and uh, he came up with Froggy. I just well, love like the scene, but this is it. Look at Mel Gibson. I mean, I, you know, I cut the scene down. I, I shouldn't have. I let people talk me you and know, it. was only another twenty or thirty seconds. Happy. You you overcut sometimes because it's the end of the movie and everybody's on your case. But Mel brought me to tears in the scene every single time. Funny. And I cut, I, I cut it. I, I cut it. I snipped it. I should never have snipped it. I. Yeah. If, if for nothing else, I would make I mean, that scene for myself. Self-shot, is that it? And uh, no. if I was going to come to tears on it, the audience would have. It would have given a hair more emotion what the here? to the, what Joey is yeah. playing. But I listened. I listened to people around me. Uh, i leave you alone, Kay. And that's yeah. when you make a mistake. Yeah. you got to go by your own instincts.
1: I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. They wanted you to cut it originally.
0: Yeah, they yeah. wanted the scene out of the picture. I refused. That's another good thing. They're, you know, when I was a you kid work kid a long kid kid time... Studios or producers used to. I had a woman editor cut behind me once on a picture. I had this
3: uh, pet frog. And
2: and you, you,
0: it's not your picture anymore. At one point in my life, I got Final Cut. I have
2: a lot of friends. Matter of fact,
0: where it means I had Final Cut. Nobody could change my picture. And And the day I have to give that up is the day I leave the business. And it's a rarity. I think there's probably a half dozen directors that have it.
2: It would turn into a princess since I was. And I've never
0: had to use it. I've never had to. Could be my enforce life. it in a strange way. The studios okay. had enough respect for me and I have for them. And if, they, if somebody's got a really Nothing. good, valid point, I'll listen. And uh, my father was no bargain. But when they wanted the scene out, I said, no, it's not coming the out. And, uh, was my they really all bent. The and then when you saw it in the theater, with me. the audiences didn't know whether to laugh or cry. Some day, cried, some laughed, some laughed and cried. And, uh,
3: I, I was doing
0: a picture mean, Lady uh, Hawk, which I met my wife on. And uh, a wonderful producer, my and, it, it, was and Roy Roy it was two studios: it was Roy. Warner Brothers and Fox. They they both had the and picture, and therefore I was able to play one against right. the other. And I, I, I said I wouldn't make it without really final cut. Me a lot more Once they me. you have it, unless you you misuse it, you have it no, no. to uh,
3: it's
2: okay
0: to keep okay. forever, hopefully.
2: You're my family.
0: But uh, really, I'm I mean, it's, it's not like you shove it down a studio's throat. You're not Maybe you shove right it down a producer's throat. That's another thing. I I produce my own films only because I, I have to protect myself. And that started yeah. after uh, the I toy. That maybe I never that would allow I, uh, give up my producing rights because um, you only get yourself in trouble. Because okay, I did The Omen. My career turned around overnight. Yeah. Then Superman came, and that right. was I got a funny thing. Uh, an that? independent done by oh, the oh, soul soul Kinds the in thing. Europe. Warner's was going to distribute it domestically. Yep. And uh, they had nothing to say in the making of the film. But it did start my relationship with Warner Brothers at the end of that. And um, they offered me an office after that, and uh, it's been great. You sure picked a strange angel, honey. But I got the message. I got the message. message. I'll I'll always have this. I always
3: have you. You're hearing you. Thanks,
0: honey. I gotta go. Bye. Right. Yeah, this is fantastic out. moment. Oh, yeah. I love this. you asked her to marry her? But things happen. This is this funny thing where he, she grabs the woman with the, uh, with the, uh, Venus. And, 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 and drags it down the alley. That was just improvised. I said to her, reach out and grab it. And she grabbed it, and this woman who was an extra hung on, and, and then we got into Joey, said, something smells, what smells so terrible? And uh, this poor woman said I was on my way to the bathroom. I mean, what brings the house down? You got scissors, you always know you can take it out. You've improvised, you've tried it. But uh, when it works, it's really gratifying. She bought a fridge.
1: Remember that was it her? Yeah, it okay, was her. So. Oh, she wrote
0: me a lovely letter, and she said, Dear Mr. Donner, thank you for giving me the spe- speaking part. You gave me enough money to finally buy my refrigerator. Boy, does that do your heart good. See, uh, you know, not taking away from it, but this was, these were ideas we gave the writer. I always wanted her to be pregnant right up to the very end, that Mel was going to rush into the hospital, that she wouldn't have the baby until I got married, that the rabbi would... Would marry them that. And but you give the writer a piece like that, and he there runs away and he comes back with a God, scene like this. Uh, They're rare. No, no, this writer no, no, is the very the extraordinary. Channing Gibson was oh, incredible no. find. Listen, I am getting married, or there is no baby. You I Got like it? this movie a lot. A trans-
2: I care about
3: you it.
2: Richard Libertini, everybody
0: calm down. Okay, the rabbi. The rabbi did a great job. Yeah. I said. You can't you say something in, in in yiddish there when you're he uh, i'm italian how do i know so <laughs> i don't know who came up with it but uh i, I looked at him i thought he was jewish see that's, that's that makes you intolerant narrow and bigoted a rabbi you said anything but he plays rabbi. Okay. yeah okay. Well, he either plays rabbis or uh, producers rabbi joel silver <laughs>
1: Uh, uh, not necessarily. Uh, you got a license? Uh, no, we don't. Oh, Rabbi, please right. 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 don't
2: right. go, down. She right. right. need you to marry She just needs to hear the words to make her feel better before the baby comes. Yeah. You know how it is. I
3: mean, Are you just... both serious about this? Absolutely. Because I don't have time for hygiene. Real disease. serious, no. Rabbi. Please. Really, please. very serious. Well, Trust us. Do it. It wouldn't be a fish. It's all right. I just want to hear the words, Rabbi, you know. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, what are your names? Uh, I'm Martin. This Lorna. Is Lorna. Martin yeah. and Lorna. Baruch, what am mm- I doing How did they go in and do this? Dearly beloved. That's it. dearly beloved, dearly beloved, uh, we are, dearly are gathered here inside this spiritual oh. Marriage is a spiritual union. Oh, Rabbi, Faster, faster, she's heading for the whole stretch. People. All right, Mark, uh, will you take Lana to be your wife? Will you honor, love, etc., 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 until death do you part? All right, Lionel, will you take uh, Martin to be your mm-hmm. husband, uh, to, uh, et cetera, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Uh, the same thing. All right, mm-hmm. I pronounce you man and wife. You may kiss the bride, you already uh, did oh. that. Oh, let's go. <laughs> no, no, wait, 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 wait. What,
0: what, what? What is it? Let me have this plastic. Oh, oh, I, I love it. This, this wonderful actor was in uh, Inside Moves. It's one of the three wonderful crazies in the bar. What's his name? Bill oh, uh-huh. Henderson. Bill Henderson, a great jazz singer. Is in conspiracy theory, too? He's in conspiracy
1: theory, also. I get on my shoes! W-
0: I have a troop. Oh, OK. Right. Oh, OK, let's go. let's go. Hey! What the hell? Come back here, you little son sort of a bitch! Can't, can't so here we go. She has the baby. There's a good moment between Joey and over here now. I, I think so. Mel, too.
1: OK. OK. okay. Yeah, no. okay. Good luck, Lorne, reeks.
3: Yeah. Thanks okay. okay. stick around. good luck, Okay.
1: This was interesting, because I remember they had to really carefully plan out all their bruises and cuts because you shot the fight afterward.
0: You're right. We didn't know how the, how they were going to end up. Oh, when we shot the cemetery after this scene and 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 uh, we shot it on president's day weekend or something didn't we? Easter. 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 <laughs> and uh, uh I, I would have shot that scene different because of what what joey did in the cemetery scene but it came that's what happens when you go out of continuity but we try to shoot the picture in continuity as much as we could Obviously it's great for the director to shoot a picture in continuity because you can carry the emotions through in a very straight and honest way and keep keep all your knots tied properly. But um we did it so that we could keep the editing process going ahead of each other, ahead of ourselves. Because we were cutting so close that if we could have if we could cut scenes as we went and that would be the continuity of the picture, we'd have reels cut. Reels we, we we were gonna be scoring reels uh while we were still shooting. Uh fortunately it didn't happen that way, but uh we try to keep the continuity going. But in the old days, a lot of directors shot only in continuity. The, from the beginning to the middle to the end. But they were always on sets. It means they weren't going to go out to the same locations three or four different times. By the way, Grandpa, you're know the chief one. He went to bat for you with the INS, and they're going to give asylum to the Hans. Hey, all right, all right. We're going to take a picture. Hey, 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 take a
3: picture. Come, on. On. come
0: on, come on. Come on, come on. All right, Leo. All right, uh, okay. everybody squeeze together. Candy Striper's out, 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 okay, okay, you're out, out. You're out. Right. I can't, There's not enough room, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, okay.
3: Back. You gotta back. back up. Back, oh, yeah. we
0: are. We got knocked for having the Kodak thing and I think everybody thought we had a Kodak promotion and how could we have a Kodak promotion when the camera fails, the machine failed, but nobody thought about that. My best
3: man
0: after all. Okay. all right, hey, yeah. Look at this, I love this, I love this last shot. Now this last shot of this family, carries us into the credits. And and here, I mean, uh, it, it, this is uh, what the movie's about. There's a whole group of people, some new, some old, but it's the same, same group that's made the movie. So I decided I wanted to give everybody a visual credit, all the crew, all the actors, everything. And uh, I had done it once on Inside Moves, where I did the crew photo at the end of the movie. And uh, <laughs> there's Jimmy putting his hand over my mouth, using him over his. Uh, Andre. Anyway, we decided to do this and we didn't tell the studio because I felt if we tell the studio they would have, if we had told the studio they might very well have said no we don't want to do that because once you start it, everybody's gonna want it. So we went to a wonderful guy Richard Greenberg who does um, uh, titles and uh, credits and commercials. He, uh, he did them all for me. He's done everything. He's started, on, I met him on Superman and he's been with me ever since. He had a company in New York, uh, R. Greenberg. It was really Richard, his brother, I think, was the accountant for it. They still keep it going. But Richard was the genius behind it. And uh, we gave him this idea that uh, we wanted to give visual credits. And we were all talking. I think Joel came up with the idea of a photo album. And Richard came up with a way to shoot these. And uh, we had everybody take their pictures. And we had crew's pictures taken. Uh, the, the, on the last day of photography, everybody ran outside and we had group shots. and. What a nice way to say thank you to everybody. You know, you see the crew, they're unsung heroes. So as soon as we get out a, a of actors and you start to see produced by, written by, directed by... there's there's There she is, Marin Dowdy, the greatest casting woman in the world. And she's never had her face on the screen. Nobody ever say thank you like that. I don't know how that got in. Uh... <laughs> uh and Doshudo, that's Lauren, my darling wife, and all my doggies who have almost, they're all uh, passed away now, except for one. Uh, and now, we're going to get into the, to the crew that deserves their photos. Here they are. That's my, my little niece on the right, who really did all the work on the picture. Uh, Spencer, the other young lady, for Joel. Um, and here's the cast, Here's the crew. Let me see where we go. Where do we go here? Oh, this is the role on the cast. You always have to do a cast role. Michael Chow is Mr. Chow's restaurant. We do get some of our friends in. Actually, he was a good little actor in England years ago. They wouldn't have
2: you And it was interesting the, how we tried to come up with a song for what they playing right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They wanted to use, uh, what was it? I didn't like it.
1: Remember? They wanted to use
0: some, what was old time song, An old Frank Sinatra. An old Frank Sinatra. I said, it's wrong. It's down. It's a downer instead of an upper. And it's not the picture. So we, I just insisted they just keep looking and everybody was angry. They were happy with it at first then. Who came up with that? Spencer. Spencer see. had an album. From war. From war. And he brought it in. There they are. There's the whole, there's the production crew. There's editing. The uh, there's uh, where's Frank curiosity we showed him already yeah. second editors here's uh, Jets guys Jets guys um, it, that's the art department right there isn't it? Yeah. Yep. I don't have my glasses on yeah, art department. Um, so everybody got a visual credit first time in the history of the business I think to this degree and you know what what does it mean a few photos everybody gets to see if nothing else just their family in Des Moines sees Manny there who ran the the, golf, the, the coffee machine, and they can applaud in the background. I think they all deserve it. It's, it's my family. These guys have all uh, busted their bottoms to make a movie and put their hearts and love into it. And they don't work for the biggest salaries in the world, a lot of them. And, uh, I'm, I'm just glad I can give them that little moment of glory on the screen. There's a, there's a cast picture on the end, isn't there? Yeah, the crew. Yeah, the whole cast.
3: Michael Kamen.
0: Is that was that yeah, no that's my okay. I just sit and look at all these the and get tears guys. in my eyes. Those are my prop guys. Boy, did he get fat in the last ten years? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Eric. Wardrobe. <laughs> Wardrobe? They all dress beautifully at home. You don't know why, do you? Who else? What do you say? Danny's uh stylist Danny's people, hair and makeup and location. Though. Location scouts, boy, that's a that's job me. unto itself. Who? Matt, Matt Sweeney, Sweeney. John. Matt Sweeney, and special effects. John Blue can blow up anything. And Sometimes not intentionally. <laughs> <like living> in <laughs> and my boys. Who's that? That's what uh, you guys are terrible. I don't have, have my glasses. Oh, that's Look. all the assistants. It's it's our, oh, that's your our assist. company. That's our company. Mostly horizontal. Oh, that's me in the red. Oh, there's Jeff. That's our uh, medic. Well, that's our hey. medic. He's Jonas. Boy, is he a good guy to have around. You don't <laughs> the old medic, yell, headache. There he is. Sorry, just there's Con- blew out. The- there's Connie, the stunt coordinator. There's Mick Rogers, stunt coordinator. Second unit directors. These are all the stunt people coming up, aren't they? Are they there already?
1: Who's that? They're there. On the ring there? I can't see. Oh, there's
0: stunts working. Anyway, I just thought it was a nice way and respectfully to say thank you. I think if we had asked for permission to do this, we wouldn't have again it. We wouldn't have been given the permission. So we did it, and the picture, as I said, was completed at the moment before uh, it was released. There was no chance to change it, change it, and that's the way it went out. And thank you, guys, each and every one of you. They deserve a personal hand clap from me and you guys. There you go. There they are. Everybody. There it is. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, then go back and look at it again, because looking at it without me talking, you'll enjoy it that much more. It was fun making Lethal Weapon 1, 2, 3, and 4. And I hope you people enjoyed this, uh, my intrusion on your lives, telling you of all our personal problems. But it's uh, it's so much fun making a movie, but so maybe you would enjoy part of this.